0: Welcome to episode 35 of the New Balances podcast. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined today by uh, a good old. Well, he's younger than me, but I've known him for the better part of a decade. I would say, um, brother slash deacon elect joshua shula so josh welcome to the new balances podcast how you doing
1: good uh thanks for having me i think this is the first podcast that i've ever been a part of do you Um, listen to podcasts uh occasionally yeah here and there
0: what are what are some of the ones that you listen to
1: um i don't know if it is considered necessarily a normal podcast but i've seen a couple of things of uh or many things of good mythical morning
0: okay i've never heard of it but I doesn't mean that it's not real (laughs) so uh tell me a little bit about yourself you as uh you're a salesian brother and you're in the religious order of the salesians um, the people who listen here know a bit about that because I've talked about it in the past, with other guys who have been in formation, um, but, uh, tell me a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today.
1: All right. So, uh, originally I am from Jacksonville, Florida. I grew up the youngest of four siblings. So I have two brothers and a sister. Um, um. Pretty much myself and all of my siblings were homeschooled for the most part, Um, except for, I think, two of my siblings for two years or a year. But for the most part, through up into and through high school, we were homeschooled. Um, So that was a good experience. We had a lot of uh, our friends and our family who also were homeschooled in our parish. So we, most of our kind of, you could say, getting together was with the parish group who were also homeschooled. Uh, and it was good. It was a very good kind of Catholic, uh, atmosphere. And I, I think a couple of vocations came from there as well. Um, but so, yeah, I grew up there. I kind of always had this feeling. I, I had went to a couple, uh, uh, we'll say religious orders, their retreats, there weren't solution ironically, um, but they, they expressed a lot of uh, Don Bosco and Dominic Savio. And so I kind of always had this feeling that I wanted to be a priest or to give back to the church was kind of my idea. And kind um, I always had that feeling, kind of went through life, went through high school. Um, I never really dated at one point, because my, my parents had this belief or had this kind of um, rule that we weren't supposed to officially date until 18. Um, well, I mean, we could hang out with people and stuff like that, but it wasn't so officially date, which um, I agree in the fact that dating in that response was meant to be for, um, you could say marriage. So in, in that a sense of I'm going trying to date this person because I want to get married. That was their I idea. Mean,
0: anyway. I definitely see that and think that dating should be something that, you know, you're discerning the vocation to marriage with somebody and you're seeing if you guys have personali- personalities that jive and uh, fit that mold uh, to get at. The waiting till 18 part, uh, you know, I'm not here to question parenting or, uh, <laughs> you know, because as a parent myself, if somebody were to question how I choose to bring up my daughter, you know, I would probably want to uh, have an unpleasant conversation with them. Uh, so I'm not here to uh, aren't Monday morning quarterback some, something.
1: Yeah. Um, so I kind of grew up, I mean, I, I was kind of, either classified or i classified myself as like the nice guy um because there were a couple of girls who i may or may not have liked at the time um
0: so we can read was, that as you liked them
1: yeah i mean some i did some i didn't but for for instance there was one um time when uh this one girl was coughing and i offered her water because i mean it was like crazy coughing um and her mother happened to be there at the same time. She's like, oh, he likes her. And I'm like, no, that's,
0: mm-hmm. I'm just, just offering. Just responding to a need.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I, I considered myself of just being of service or being, being there. And of course I did like some girls at that time, um, but it wasn't, as you could say, official. Um, except for, I would say maybe 15 or 16, there was one girl I liked. We were unofficially, officially Facebook dating.
0: Um, so you were Facebook official.
1: Well, in this, yes. In that sense. Okay. Um, the, we had went to a youth group together and that was really the only time we actually physically were around. Um, but we would talk all the time. Um, and so I kind of had that relationship until I would say junior, either beginning or end of junior year when my dad had lost his job in construction. I think it was around 2007 or 2008, um, maybe earlier. And we, we eventually moved out to Mississippi because he found a job out there. And um, so the one person who I had a relationship with was basically saying, oh, no, I can't do a long-distance relationship, so we're ending it now,
0: which... And this is junior year of high school?
1: Yeah, and we'll say into junior year. Okay. um, Which I thought was very... I mean, it was heartbreaking in that sense. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so I kind of moved on. I um, got a job at Chick-fil-A. It was a great opportunity. Um, I, I... met a lot of people and I still kind of had that same issue where I was nice I was listening and people kind of got the wrong idea and a couple times Um, and simultaneously I also was discerning uh, not necessarily just salesians but discerning just in general kind of what I wanted to do with my life Um, and I think it also happened where when I had already looked into the salesians and was like accepted this one girl who I worked with gave me this, like, you could say a note saying that she liked me, which was really awkward because I never had experience of that and I didn't know how to respond. So I think I ungentlemanly, like, sent a note back to her, um, essentially saying, thank you, but I'm going to the seminary.
0: Yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm friend zoning myself. I'll see you later. <laughs>
1: yeah. So. Uh, went and I entered, I believe it was 2010, I uh, entered the Salesians, and I went to Orange, New Jersey, or South Orange, New Jersey, and uh, started my journey there with um, many different people from many different backgrounds.
0: Um, Who was in was your was initial class there?
1: My My particular group, or?
0: Yeah, that came in. Uh, as candidates that year,
1: um, the ones that were came that came in as candidate was uh, if I can remember his name, their names Kevin White and uh, Jared Rodriguez. Oh yeah, um, Jared is now a priest. If I believe correct, a diocesan priest in Louisiana. Louisiana. yep. Um, Kevin, I have no idea, um, and then I think there was a person who also entered together, but he was like a year or two ahead of me, which was Craig Spence, who is now a priest, a Salesian
0: priest. Is this a different Kevin White than brother Kevin who just?
1: Not Kevin White, Kevin Glass. Oh. We've had combinations of people's (laughs) names. (laughs) Um, So we entered, I think there was 15 of us who were candidates, um, quite a number of, I think five or six brothers, uh you were one of them
0: uh I, in 2010 I was in um Port New York for my novitiate
1: okay so then it was 2011 yeah um and then it went on from to my second year my pre-novitiate was in New York um it was a nice change after two years of uh of school to go kind of do a different version of school Um, yeah
0: that particular sort of like okay this is more less focused on the academic end of things and now we're getting to the nitty-gritty of making myself into uh, a good religious like i'm learning the history of the order and the province and uh rolling that over into learning the rule during novitiate and how i'm supposed to live my life
1: yeah and i i particularly liked my pre-novitiate i mean we I learned a lot of Don Bosco. I learned a lot of really human human aspects of how to be who I should be. Um, traveled a lot. We went all over the the province. Um, that was really nice to be able to see.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, I remember doing that and it was a blast. The, it was a lot of road tripping. I don't think I've ever driven so much we did it in sort of like one fell swoop. We went out, we did uh, Montreal, Toronto, Chicago, came through, uh, went to NCYC in Indianapolis. and went from Indianapolis to Columbus uh, when we still had the Boys and Girls Club out there, I think. It's not there anymore. Um, And then we made our way back and that was like round one. And then we took another trip where we flew from New Jersey to Tampa and then rented a van in Tampa and did Tampa, Belgrade, Miami, uh, and drove to New Orleans. Yeah. New
1: Orleans was the only one I think we didn't get to. I mean, we, we kind of did, like what you described, like the Montreal, Toronto going down. Um, but then uh, we didn't get to Florida until the summer. So during the summer is when Ooh. we went to, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm from Florida. So I know,
0: but it's still, it, it still was hot. Uh,
1: so we, for a couple of weeks, I think we were at camp and then we went down to Bell Glade, which was a lot hotter and more humid. Unbelievably. And then we went down to Miami from there. And uh, I think after that, we were done. And then we entered No <laughs> in California. Uh,
0: which were you was, guys the first class to go out there? No. We weren't were
1: this uh, uh, third.
0: Third class. Okay.
1: We were the third class. So, and it, it was a challenge. Um, there were definitely challenges in there. Uh, because you're in a whole different environment. I mean, at least the difference between New York and New Jersey is not that big of a difference. I mean, it is, but California is like, it almost felt like a whole nother world.
0: Yeah, once you enter into different time zones, yeah. uh, you're putting, like, w- I, understandably, like the mindset of somebody who lives at, where I am in Boston mindset of somebody who lives in new york is going to be a little bit different it's like 250 miles away now you're Mm -hmm. stretching out 3,000 miles away and you've got different ways of viewing things you've got a different characteristic makeup of the province that well you're not in your province anymore you're now somewhere else in formation and it's different and uh, okay Now I have to try to figure out the personalities of these people uh, and try to get myself into a position where we can live life cohesively uh, for the mission, but also because I need to make sure that I'm forming myself properly and submitting myself to that process uh, so that it's done well and not playing a game.
1: Yeah, and it, that was, kind of how I had viewed it and it part of that challenge though was and I I don't blame I don't mean I don't blame anybody but I don't blame the who our novice master was I mean he would I respect the man um, but I think it was difficult because we were also an international group so we started with 12 novices some from Ireland England um, Austria one from Canada and Uh, a whole mix of, I mean, we were, we were like the color of the rainbow. Like if you had an international cultural flag, that's what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was difficult in that sense. Plus there was the age range was crazy. It went from like, um, I would say 22 or so up until like 45, if not higher, it might've even been higher than that. So that was a big range.
0: Were you there um, when we came to visit uh, the the Post Novices and a a meeting out in Bellflower? Was it Bellflower? No, where the high school is.
1: Maybe. I mean, it was, we went from 2014 to 2015. So I'm not sure.
0: No, I would have been in practical training at that point.
1: Okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, was, I mean, it was a good experience. After that, we went um, back to New Jersey for the rest of my philosophy. Um, I don't really remember many difficulties there. We had a multiple change of directors, but that was that was how it happened. Um, and then practical training, which I,
0: I got into trouble with some of those directors. <laughs> <laughs> especially the, uh, hold on. So yeah, I had the difficulty with one particular director uh, who helped the relationship that I had with him was uh, tumultuous and um, his actions helped me to discern that religious life was not for me. And I had already had in the back of my mind since day one when I entered um that I wanted to have uh, a wife and a family, but I wasn't gonna leave until the superiors told me, hey, this isn't for you. And they would tell me to leave. So I was like, no, I'm gonna stay until they tell me to go. And then they kept renewing me. And I was like, I thought they would have told me to leave left by now, <laughs> but they didn't. I was like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> yeah.
1: And then after that, um... I went to practical training, so I went down to Shaw. Um, I think you and I were both the lit- best
0: place ever. Yeah, um, I, we weren't there I, together. No, 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 no. I was. I was you came in. Um, you. Yeah, I was there from twenty thirteen to fifteen, um, and you know my my heart lives at Shaw. Uh, for my my times with the Salesians, it was hands down the best experience that i've had um and i i love that town i love the greater new orleans area as far as metropolitan areas i would say new orleans is my favorite in the country um and i can't wait to bring my wife and daughter there to experience all that it has to offer and you know the relationships that i made down there are definitely uh, ones that'll last forever i still interact with some of my former students on twitter and call them out for their nonsense when they post stupid things. (laughs) Um, So you were there, what, 2015
1: to 17? 2016 to 18? No, yeah, around there, 18 to 19. Uh, I get my dates mixed up because I was there for two years, and that was after... um, I so it's probably 17 to 19, actually. If I think I okay. got it correctly. Um, it was for sure, like you said. I mean, that I had great experiences there. Uh, the people were amazing. I mean, the relationship we would have with people. I mean, even though I grew up in Florida, like the, the way people made you feel like you were part of their family was amazing.
0: I felt like that was what Southern hospitality was. Florida is kind of like northeast but in the south
1: yes so you go to like somebody's house and you shake hands if you met them for the first time and then when you left they would demand a hug I mean there was no there there was no request that you're getting
0: a hug you're getting a hug you need a beer you need a beer here come here You need (laughs) need some crawfish oh man so and the food it's uh, the food was amazing
1: i mean I, I i've never had food quite like that in anywhere else in the world
0: no it's and, second to none
1: yeah but uh, it I, I also think it was despite the the good experiences i mean it was probably one of the better experience the best experiences but it was also the most challenging or one of the most challenging because i was not ready to teach Ah. Uh, I was not prepared. Um, I I felt unprepared. I felt like I didn't know how to control the classroom. Um, I also and sometimes felt like I let the kids down. But I also knew this is what I have. So it's not like I could change what my preparation was. I had the theology down. The theology was right, but
0: okay, they didn't. They didn't give us too many uh, education classes with which to get under our belt. Like, Two. yeah two was required for our degree requirement and there wasn't any classroom practicum you know you would go in uh during winter break to a high school and you'd sit and watch teachers and maybe teach a lesson within one of the classes and i'm like that's not nowhere near adequate uh, oh teach sunday school it's a different ball game it's you know i i remember one instance of uh, my first year teaching, I got real close with uh, Mr. Gaines um, down there, he's a math teacher. And I uh, I had a number of uh, black students who were using the N-word like interchangeably in classroom. And I'm like, guys, it's not appropriate for the academic setting. I know it's part of the culture, uh, but they just kept doing it. So I went to Mr. Gaines and I said, I've got an issue. I don't want to make it uh, a, a you know, uh, a disciplinary issue. Would you mind coming and talking to my classroom about why this is not okay? He goes, absolutely, let's go. And he just went in there and (laughs) took care of business. He goes, you won't have any more problems. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But in the end, I mean, I, I learned the definition of busyness like you said, teaching in CCD or whatever, when you have, especially as a first year teacher, when you have two preps, uh, that means like two different classes of two different contents, having to make tests, having to make quizzes, having to grade things. I learned the definition of what it means to be busy. I, my respect for teachers is amazing because when you're a student, sure, you're busy, you're studying, but when you're a teacher, it's a whole nother world. <laughs>
0: I made all of my tests Scantrons so that I would just grade it on the Scantron machine uh, because it would just make life that much easier. Uh, But I also, uh, I taught freshman and sophomore. So I had some of the freshman kids coming in who thought that they were the smartest things since uh, sliced bread. And I would make all of the answers on one. uh, I remember for a final, I had two versions of the final one every answer was uh a all the way down on the scantron and then on the second version of the test it was zigzag was the pattern for the correct answers and the kids who were like ap level were like uh, 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 the head was broken <laughs> and the kids who were more simple were like hell yeah let's make this design
1: <laughs> ah, that's, that's brilliant <laughs> <laughs>
0: I like, I like to screw with them. You just have to have fun. And then um, uh, I was the football chaplain while I was there. Uh, I was an assistant baseball coach for the freshman team and soccer teams with uh, it was a lot of fun while I was there. I got more in, in tune with the football guys than I did with anything else.
1: Uh, so after that, I came to Jerusalem. Uh, I I wasn't against it because my originally when I was asking my the provincial council, I, I basically said to them send me anywhere that's English because my Spanish is next to none. So okay, I don't I really mean, feel
0: like learning a new language at you know in my middle twenties yeah, or early twenties.
1: Yeah, that's, I'll do it later if I need to, but I'd rather focus on one thing at a time.
0: I'm going to learn something. I want to learn it in my native language.
1: Yes. Yes, please. Please. So I, I came to Jerusalem in 2019 to 20,
0: um, and did you have to stay there throughout the entire pandemic? No. Okay. Um.
1: Praise God, no, because I think of our group of, these say, 40-something students, except for, I think, those who left. So the fourth-year students went back home. But so, okay, of 30-something students, I believe only six of us were able to go home that year. So the rest either were in Bethlehem or Nazareth or wherever the whole summer. So they were there the whole year. And the entire other year until summer. Wow. Uh, so if you want to talk to them about how to deal with difficulties, oh my goodness, I, I could not even imagine.
0: Uh, no, I mean, I, I feel like that would be a great conversation to have with them. Um, you know, that, that no, thanks. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> my, you know, Not that you asked, but my time in Jerusalem, I felt like I I didn't want to be there at all. Um, I wanted to be back uh, in the U.S. I said, maybe if I was here for like a month for like a a retreat slash pilgrimage. Uh, But I lived there for 10 months. And at the end of it, I needed to have uh, surgery on the back of my neck because I had a cyst that formed. And Mm -hmm. Uh, just I was done with it. Like I missed the graduation exercises because I was up in bed. I woke up uh, one time during because I had like 104 fever. Uh, uh, it was it was rough. Um, it was so you know me. I'm a well statured individual, um, and I get hot very easily. In June, I had comforters on me because I was shivering. Like that's how sick I was. And you know how hot that house gets.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And I woke up to Father Stephen sitting beside my bed praying the rosary. And I was like, oh, this is weird. (laughs) And then another time I woke up and the uh, general counselor for formation, Father Ivo, was in my room praying the rosary. And I was like, what the hell is, are they on death watch? What's going on? (laughs)
1: Uh, yeah. so it's, it's been interesting years. I mean, it's the first two, I think because of COVID, um, made it unlike anything else than would have been expected. Cause I think for the first wave of COVID, we, we had a complete lockdown for three months. I mean, I don't think we left the compound of the house for three months, or at least I didn't. Um. I, I don't exactly know how I survived. I mean, I think a lot of us did games, watched movies, kind of hung out, um, found a garden and drank, uh, or just chilled.
0: Uh, how did you guys get your beverages if you couldn't get out? Or did you just I have a, we had to stockpiled? Yeah, that's a good stockpile? <laughs>
1: <laughs> or somebody would have run out and go, I don't know. I, I really don't remember because it... A lot of that the second half of my first year and my first half of my second year were almost like blurred together Mm -hmm. so it it was essentially all like the same thing but slightly different so yeah because the coming back from the second year or starting the second year we were required to have two weeks of quarantine like Israel said you're having quarantine. And um, since everything was still relatively new, our director was afraid that we had to do it because big community, like 45 plus people, you don't want to
0: spread know, that please. thing like
1: wildfire. So we had two weeks of quarantine. All of us were fine. We came out and we attended an ordination of, uh, his name was Father Rudil. Um, he, yeah. And then we, five days after that, five or six days after that, I got sick. All of us were tested, and I was found to be positive with COVID. So two weeks, zero. <laughs> six days out, and then another two weeks. Um, I legitimately felt like a prisoner. So it was... I would count the cracks on the wall. I started kind of conniving, like, what would I do to escape if there was a zombie apocalypse? I mean, like... Uh,
0: you watched was, too like, much World War Z.
1: Oh, there was... If I didn't have, at that point, really, if I didn't have, like, a computer or, or just some way of semblance, I don't I don't know. I, I might have, like, created a artistic rendering on my wall if I didn't have that, because... The only other consolation was really, we had this like COVID evenings. So when everyone else, sounds really weird. When everyone else would go out for mass, which was then at night, because I guess it lets people sleep in or whatever. um, Those of us who were positive, like the four or five of us on the one floor, we would go out to the balcony and we'd be like, oh, hey, how you doing? Oh, bad. Me too. And then we'd just talk for during the time of the mass, essentially. And then when the deacon would come around and bring us communion, we'd run back to our
0: rooms and then
1: receive and then just kind of hide. (laughs) It was very strange.
0: (laughs) I couldn't imagine that. I would, I would probably go nuts. I
1: I think I lost a piece of myself back then, but I I mean, it, it, we went through it i'm still here uh, i'm still sane enough as i believe
0: did you have severe symptoms or no
1: it, the symptoms themselves lasted i'd say for the majority of maybe three days yeah i i was lethargic or tired days after but this because i literally didn't do anything uh, i didn't move from my body rope.
0: at rest remains to stay at rest
1: yeah, and my room was tiny, so there wasn't much um, ways to be able to do physical exercise. So you sleep when you sleep, you do whatever, it really doesn't matter.
0: Which uh, which room are you in? Now uh, or then? Yeah, now. I'm just trying to figure out like, if, when, um, I... So you... You know when if I. You know the there, balcony?
1: I... The yes. balcony over by the front of the house? You know those mm-hmm. rooms over there? Yeah. So I was one of those.
0: Okay. At least you had a good view.
1: That yeah, that was the only benefit. That's why I think I, I stayed sane when I was able to go out at night. Just.
0: You want to know yeah. the room that I had when I was there? I had uh, the only room in the house that did not have an outside facing window. I don't
1: even know what room that is.
0: The one that overlooks the gym oh
1: gosh that was my room
0: it was gigantic it was a huge room but it did it was a horrible room
1: (laughs) getting stacked Uh, but no I mean it's things have been good here it's there definitely have been challenges of especially as now I'm in my third year it was more of kind of a combination of I'd say almost like homesickness or Food sickness of wanting to have different things. I mean, I've I've become very savvy in knowing where certain foods are or where I could get different snacks or things. Because for me, a lot of times it's it's like the little things that help a lot. So uh, I found pretzels, which I'm like, okay, cool,
0: pretzels. Little creature comforts.
1: Yeah, and I found a Papa John's, which was pretty cheap and different things, and. These little things that helped. I, I think there was an Asian restaurant, and I bought soy sauce and, and just familiar tastes and different things. Didn't even matter if they were the best thing ever. Was,
0: yeah, like you said, those creature comforts. Did you go to the movie theater that's in town by the um, in the mall? I've been once.
1: Um, it is past the first station. It's the first station um, away from the old city, but i think you know where that is yeah um so that movie theater i've been once but we, we've tried to go a couple times but it, it doesn't help when websites and things are in hebrew or partial english and then you try to book your ticket and it doesn't make sense and then you go to the place and you're standing in a line that's not even a line so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> The pre-line
1: you're like oh this is the handicap line oh this is the complaint line okay
0: Got it. I I don't got it. (laughs) Um, So, by and large, you've had a very unique experience being uh, in a different country during the lockdowns, starting your um, journey towards your particular formation to the priesthood. Uh, During the height, beginning and height of the pandemic and now that we're sort of like on the the tail end of this um outside of I know you talked about the difficulties of homesick and uh looking for those sort of creature comforts um do you feel that your um your confrere there who weren't able to get home did you feel like there was any sort of animosity because you were one of the lucky ones who did get to go home
1: no I, I don't I didn't ever feel that i mean they they definitely said that I was lucky, but I never felt that there was an animosity i mean they okay. they explained how it was difficult here, but they never or at least I never felt like they were upset at me for having that opportunity
0: okay yeah and then um I noticed uh, in your photos from your, what I'm guessing was the Easter uh, break, your trip to Jordan. Well, what did it was that your first archaeological um, out of country trip during your formation? I know, like in the past, yeah. they would go to Egypt or Turkey. Um, so, but...
1: um, last year we went down to the Red Sea because we were supposed to go to Jordan, but it didn't happen because of COVID related things. I mean, for the past two years, it was because we were supposed to go to Jordan, it didn't happen. We were supposed to go to Jordan, it didn't happen. Um, so the compromise essentially was to go down to um, a lot on the Red Sea. And there was, there was enough things that we were able to see on the way down, um, plus it was the Red Sea. So it was really nice to be able to see that um but no it, yeah the jordan was definitely the first time i went to the outside the different country during the archaeological excursion
0: um
1: it was great it was incredible it yeah but i it was love i love jordan oh so you did go
0: yeah we we went um we did jordan and uh the desert place. I forget what exactly it was called, but Wadi Rum. Yeah, Wadi Rum. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use some of those pictures from Wadi Rum in my dating profile. That's how I got my wife because she likes to travel and she thought I mm-hmm. liked to travel as well. Um, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I do now because uh, she likes to travel and I like to make her happy. So when we can travel uh, again, we will. Uh, So what would you say has been uh, the best part about living uh, in the Holy Land these past three going on four years?
1: Um, I'd say in part, it's a recognition that it's less about the land and more about the man being Jesus. Um, However that sounds, because it's when you have the availability, because I know there's people who, who rightfully, when they, when they think of the Holy Land, they want to go to the places and they, they in many senses, romanticize it. Um, and it, it definitely is a blessing, don't get me wrong, but it's when you're there and you know it, when you're there for so long, it's not as novel as it is.
0: It's, as I say, overrated.
1: Uh, So it, I I still go to the different places and different things like that, but it's, I actually find it more interesting and in some ways more spiritual to go and do the less touristy or less pilgrimy places. So like, I prefer going in the woods or the gardens or different things. I remember in one year, myself and another guy went we were in Galilee. We went from uh, a place called Domus Galilee and we uh, basically walked from there down to the Sea of Galilee and it was muddy and it was difficult and uh, it took us a couple hours and we had to hitchhike back up and but it was amazing because it's like this this is the land this is the place. Um, so I've definitely found more spiritual enrichment and even just reflections from there, uh, then the place. And then I'd say the other thing would be also the, not just the area, but the experience of the people. So the, uh, some Jewish people I've met, some, uh, Muslim or Arab people I've met, and then also the, the people I've lived with, however easy or difficult it may be. Uh, um, I I realize that it's a wonderful experience. I mean, the, the enriching enrichment of it is tremendous. Because, like, how often do you get to live in a house or in an environment where you have twenty three different countries representative?
0: Yeah, you definitely see the universality of the church. Yeah, uh, when you live in those international houses of formation. I enjoyed getting to know uh, the confray there, and I still exchange emails uh, with a few of them and friends on Facebook with the others Uh, and seeing the accomplishments that they're uh, going through and seeing some of the difficulties that some of the others are going through. Uh, But, yeah, it's a great time. Um, Yeah, Do you have anything else you want to chit-chat about? And how was this for your first podcast experience?
1: And good. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's a nice experience to be able to kind of talk it over and talk with a person I haven't spoken with in a while. It's, it's nice.
0: If you could change one thing about the process of formation, what would you do differently?
1: Um, that's definitely a loaded question, but it's... it's... a
0: very loaded question because you and I share stomping grounds, so I assume we yeah. have similar um, likes and dislikes with certain things. But without knowing your biases or without you knowing my biases, that's why I leave it as a sort of open-ended mm-hmm. question.
1: Yeah. Um, it's It's difficult to say one thing because despite the fact that I've learned try to be more positive in the sense of looking at things more positively and instead of only honing on the difficulties, because that's definitely been an issue this year is getting beyond that. Um, I'd say one thing is kind of like how those information are treated. Um, Not only sometimes feeling like you're treated like a child in certain cases, which I understand you're you're having to learn different things, you're having to be formed, but the feeling is like, do they really respect me as an equal or do they really um, view me as a person who's a confer instead of a child receiving ministry? Uh, and it's obviously it's not universal it depends on who I've met right Um,
0: I think that's going to be one of the benefits of having uh, Rafi in the formation house now you know having a younger guy who's gone through the formation process uh, be part of the formation team I think can help to alleviate some of that Uh, because that is how I felt I also felt like uh, having the same rules for the 18 year old candidates and the mid to upper 30 year old post novices or uh, theologians having the same set of rules. I'm like, mm-hmm, it's different. Yeah. It's different. So I wish they could have the numbers with which to follow. Uh, what their formation handbook the ratio says about separating that levels of formation but don't see it happening
1: yeah uh, yeah for sure and I know you said one thing but uh, another kind of idea came it's similar lines is um, the transition from initial formation to ongoing formation and since I've been 11 almost 11 years now in in initial formation I realized that whether through my own um, situation or through formation that I haven't been given the, not the tools, but I haven't had the change of how am I gonna live this in an ongoing situation? Or how am I gonna get the ongoing formation I need?
0: Well, currently you're not in initial formation anymore. You've already made your perpetual vows. And once you hit theology, you're in particular formation. So you're a step removed from the initial phase, but you're still treated as though you're in initial formation. Yeah. That's why those Um, two are connected. Yeah. But, you know, there's supposed to be that separating uh, line factor of once you exit the practical training phase, you're now entering uh, the particular formation, which is why uh, brother candidates and priest candidates go separate routes. You know, the, brother candidate goes and get a master's degree and a professional degree for something, and the priest candidates go and get uh, the degree for theology. So it's supposed to be not, I hate to say, like, oh, you leveled up, but you know you, you, you are leveling up. you're no longer, at least it's not supposed to be viewed as uh, still being in uh, initial formation. Uh, but it's still treated as such. And again, one of the many reasons why I, you know, I have some sourness about how that goes. Still five years later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, Hey, I've appreciated your time and, uh, you know, look forward to uh, staying in touch with you and uh, seeing your journey. Is your uh, ordination going to be live streamed?
1: Yes. Um, I don't know how I can get it to you via podcast, but I can send it to you. Yeah, a send me
0: the link. Yeah. For me personally, I'm not uh, going to live stream uh, a podcast, but like I'd like to <laughs> be uh, at least virtually spiritually present uh, for your ordination. Because uh, I think your brothers are being ordained today in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably going on right now because it's 10 a.m. Uh, is it key becoming a priest and Brandon a deacon? Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll keep them in my prayers and you in my prayers for June 12th. Uh, who's ordaining you? Is it uh, the patriarch?
1: Yeah. Nice. Piero Baptista Pizzaballa.
0: Pierre Batista Pizabala. I remember when he was the Custos. Mm-hmm. That's when I was here. Long time. All right, my friend. I'll talk to you on the flip side. Thanks right. for listening to the New Balance's podcast and we'll see you next time.